We were in Acts 11 last time, and it's a time of explosive growth for the church, and things are hopping in, in Antioch and, and Jerusalem. Exciting days. Church is on the move. Woo! Mm. But as, as is often the case, the enemy begins to try to work against the church and the things of God. Acts 12 today, we see that at this time, Herod the king of Judea lays hands. He arrests some who belong to the church and he wants to do them harm. Herod, we, that's a name we, of, of whom we've heard over the years. We usually think of Herod, King Herod at the time of the birth of Jesus. Well, that Herod, that's Herod the Great and that's actually the granddaddy of the of the Herod of whom we read today. This is Herod Agrippa I. So this is the grandson. So Herod, he arrests, one of, the ones of, one of the ones he arrests is James, the brother of John. And James is executed with the sword. The first apostle to be murdered. James is murdered by the sword. James and John, you remember the sons of Zebedee. James and John, along with Peter, called to Jesus to be called by Jesus to be fishers of men, and, and now James is murdered by Herod. And Herod sees that this pleases the Jews. And so he proceeds to arrest Peter. As well, this this is in the days of Passover, the days of unleavened bread, and 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 Herod is it's like he's going after the original members. Again, this happens during Passover, and during this festival, Jerusalem is packed with people. Herod arrests Peter. He puts Peter into prison. Turns Peter over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, and then after Passover, he's going to bring Peter before the people. And Passover lasts seven days. So they're going to sit on Peter for, for a few days here. Peter is kept in prison. But in Acts 12, verse 5, we read, Prayer for Peter. Prayer for him is being made to God intensely by the church. The church is praying. The church is praying intensely. And that means earnestly or strenuously, with effort. So, so what kind of activities do we perform? What are those activities in which we engage intensely? What, what types of, of, of things pull our affections or focus? It's good to have interests. What about our prayer? Do we engage in, in prayer as intensely as we engage in other activities? Well, seven day, well, nearly seven days passed. And on the very night when Herod is about to bring Peter forward for execution, Peter is sleeping, and he's between two soldiers, and he's bound with two chains, and there's guards in front of the door, and they're watching over the prison. He's under the type of guard which is usually observed for America's most wanted. He started with these four squads and now there's two soldiers, personal soldiers. He's chained to each. Guards at the front door. And what happens next? 
a miracle. A miracle happens. Behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly stands near Peter, and a light shines within the cell, and the angel strikes Peter's side. And he wakes him, and he says, Get up quickly, and the chains, kerthunk, fall off his wrists. And the angel says, Put on your belt, strap on your sandals. Peter does so. The angel says, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And Peter goes out, and he continues to follow, and, and yet he doesn't know that what's being done by the angel is real, but he thinks he's having a vision. The angel has told him to get up. The chains fall off his wrists effortlessly. The, the angel gives Peter specific directions. Put on your belt, strap on your sandals, wrap your cloak around you, follow me. You know, when angels show up, Usually, well, a lot of times it's a sign of something not good happening. And so we've seen the times when the angels show up and they say, do not fear, have no fear, putting people at ease such as Mary or Joseph or the shepherds or Cornelius. Peter doesn't seem to be afraid, does he? <laughs> He's not afraid. Mm. Not afraid. Well, they pass one guard, and then the angel and Peter pass the second guard, and then they come to the final stop, the big iron gate, which leads to the city. The iron gate, without any assistance, opens. And then out into the city, the angel and Peter, they step, and up one street they go, and then the angel is gone. And so Peter, Luke the writer of Acts, I love how he says this. Luke, uh, he, he says, Peter comes to himself. <laughs> and he says, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and has rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When God does amazing things in life, sometimes we have to stop and take a moment to process, don't we? Peter realizes this, and he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who is also called Mark, and many are gathered together, and they're praying. And Peter makes this realization. He stops. He, he takes a moment. And he no doubt offers the Lord a word of thanksgiving. The Lord has spared Peter's life in an absolutely miraculous way. At not a moment too late. God is on time. God is on His time, which may not translate to our time. But God is on time. And Peter must have felt an awareness of the, of the presence of the Lord. He must have felt that he is there deep in the pocket, in the center of God's will. Peter must have had at this moment confirmation of, of his purpose. When, when you see the hand of the Lord protecting you, protecting you in your efforts, offering you provision you should stop and take a moment. Peter goes to the house of Mary 
and, and, and he, Mary is the mother of John Mark. And this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus or, or Mary Magdalene. This is a different Mary. And we're going to see some more about John Mark in the coming weeks. Well, at the house of Mary, believers have gathered there and they've been praying, having prayer meeting. And as we saw in verse 5, they've been praying intensely. Peter knocks at the door of the gate, and a slave woman named Rhoda, she comes to answer. And she recognizes Peter's voice, but because of her joy, she doesn't open the gate. She, she runs in and she announces to the prayer meeting that, that Peter's standing out in front of the gate. She didn't even wait to, to open the gate for Peter. She's so overjoyed, she runs in and she says, Peter's outside. And of course, they reply to her, you're crazy, you're out of your mind. But she, she keeps insisting. And they say, well, it's, it's his angel. Well, there's a, I mean, there's a lot we don't know on this side of life about some, some heavenly things. But we do know that the one present at the gate is Peter, not the angel. However, this group has been praying. And someone, someone may have been given a heavenly word of confirmation about angelic activity. That's not unheard of. We see that in Scripture. The Lord does bring messages through angels. And we may never know this for sure on this side of life, but, but we do know that we can pray for miraculous, God-honoring events and God-honoring interruptions and God-honoring interludes. And if the Lord wills them, these miracles can happen. I'm going to say that one more time that we can pray for miraculous, God-honoring events and interruptions and interludes, and if the Lord wills them, these miracles can happen. Well, Peter continues knocking. <laughs> they open the door and they see Peter and they are amazed. And I think that's probably the understatement of the chapter. <laughs> They're amazed. The prayer group has just witnessed a miracle. Just witnessed a miracle. And motioning to them with his hand to be silent, Peter describes to them how, how the Lord has led him out of the prison. And he says this. He says, report these things to, to James and the rest of the brothers. And then Peter leaves and goes to another place. He's a wanted man. With a gesture not unlike the one my wife has extended to me and to our children, the world-famous shh, Peter gives witness to the miraculous work of the Lord, how, how the angel has set him free. And just before Peter goes off into the night, Peter gives Rhoda and the prayer group the directive to share this miracle with, with James and the rest. Well, James, we saw a James was murdered at the very beginning of the chapter, so, so it's not James the brother of John. There's two other men named James. 
James, the son of Alphaeus, who is one of the twelve apostles, mentioned first in Matthew chapter 10. And, and then you've also got James, the brother of Jesus, first seen in Matthew 13. James, the brother of Jesus, uh, some theologians point to him being, he becomes the pastor of the church there in Jerusalem. So probably it's James, the brother of Jesus to whom Peter directs this. Well, morning comes, and there's... Luke, the writer of Acts, I love how he says this, there's no small disturbance amongst the soldiers as to what could have happened to Peter. It's got to be absolute chaos down there at the jailhouse. What happened? Where did he go? I mean, the soldiers, their commanders, all the way up to old King Herod. And Herod searches for Peter. They don't find Peter. And so Herod examines the guards and he orders that they be led away to execution. That's that's the penalty for letting a prisoner escape. And this evidently has such an emotional toil on on Herod that he has to go on holiday. He, He goes from Judea down to Caesarea and he spends some time there. And in the last six verses of Acts chapter 12, we witness the end of Herod. What happens? Herod is very angry with all of the people living in two cities named Tyre and Sidon. And these two cities, they're they're under Roman rule. They're, They're not under Herod's control at all. But he's mad at them. Well, all the people, we read that all the people all together, verse 20 describes them as having one mind. That's pretty miraculous in itself. Everybody agrees. They approach King Herod, and and, and they they feel some confidence. They they even have support from from one of Herod's own officials. And and so what happens, they're asking for peace. They have a somewhat dependent relationship with Herod. Luke, the, the writer of Acts, tells us that Tyre and Sidon are supported with grain from the king's country, and they're afraid that Herod is going to cut off their supply line. We see some similar things in these days, don't we? Um, there are no coincidences. We, we see in verse 21 that on one certain appointed day, Herod dresses in his regal royal best, takes his seat on the platform, and he, and he begins to deliver an address. Well, the, the people repeatedly cry out, the voice of a God and not of man. Well, the Herods, the family of Herods down through the years, have historically thought of themselves as really more than mere morals. They, humility is not their strong point. They have always thought themselves as godlike. And Herod really enjoys this adulation. But the Lord does not. The Lord does not. And we see that immediately an angel of the Lord strikes Herod because Herod does not give God the glory. And Herod is eaten by worms, and he dies. Mm. 
And then we see this. The word of the Lord continues to grow and it continues to multiply. The gospel does not stop. The gospel will not stop. Prayers and miracles. Three questions. Three questions that I put before us this morning in these remaining minutes. Number one, does God hear prayer? He does. He does. We've seen the prayer of God's people throughout Scripture. We've seen the heart cries to the Lord, for the Lord to to intervene in situations, to to protect, to, to provide, to deliver. And many times the Lord has responded in miraculous, miraculous ways. Some of us could give testimony of how the Lord has brought deliverance in our own circumstances. Second question, does God hear my prayer? He does. He does. Do you know that Jesus prays for His people? Jesus prays for His people. Paul reminds us of this in Romans chapter 8. In verse 34, we read that Christ Jesus is the one who died. And and more than that, He was raised. He was resurrected. And He is at the right hand of God. Paul says, who indeed is interceding for us. Mm. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, through Jesus, since Jesus always lives to make intercession for them. For us. This morning, Jesus is interceding for you and for me. You know, James is the first apostle to have been martyred. Well, his brother John outlives the rest of the apostles. And John wrote three letters. When he was up in age, he wrote three letters to the, to the church. And in first John Chapter, first, letter 1 John, chapter 2, verse 1, John writes this. He says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, because we all sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. <laughs> How does it make you feel to know that Jesus himself is praying for you? He pays attention to you. He pays attention to me. He prays for us. Which brings us to the third and final question this morning. Why does it feel like the Lord is not listening to my prayer? Aha. Where the rubber hits the road. I told you last time about Barnabas. And how he encourages that new church 
in Antioch to abide in the Lord. Acts chapter 11. He, he reminds this new church to remain in the Lord and to persevere, really to not give up on God. So why does Barnabas feel like he has to do this? Well, are there not those times when we don't feel like things are going our way? We get discouraged. We all do. And, and we wonder if the Lord really is for us. We feel like we're waiting in vain for the Lord to answer our prayers, don't we? Waiting on God to answer our prayers is designed to grow our hearts and to grow our character and to grow our faith. When we wait on God to answer our prayers, this is designed to grow our hearts, to grow our character, and to grow our faith. And you've heard me say this before. We who follow Christ, we have to make the choice to follow Him. We can't depend on an emotion. We have to make the choice to do it because, you know what? We are not always going to feel like it. We make the choice to say, Lord, I trust You, and I'm going to follow You. I'm going to make that choice. And that's why you and I make that choice to abide in the Lord and in the things of God. That's why we keep praying. That's why we keep praying. Prayers are answered. And a lot of the times they're not answered the way we want them to be answered. You know, even Jesus himself prayed that he wouldn't have to be crucified. Do you remember that? But he wanted to glorify the Father. He trusted that his Father knew what would be best. And if you remember the words of Jesus there that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, I mean, he prayed three times. And he said this with resolve. He made the choice. He said, not my will, Father, but yours. And we're glad that he trusted the Father. We are glad that he did. But because of Jesus' trust in the Father, in his Father, we can trust in Jesus. And thereby, we trust in the Father Himself. We can trust in the work. We can trust in the miracle that Jesus accomplished on the cross to take care of our sin. And we can trust in the miracle of the resurrection because that is the promise for us to have new life, eternal life, following in the steps of Jesus. Mm. Jesus was for us when he was on the cross. He was for us. He was for you. He was for me. Trusting the Father. And Jesus is for us now. He's for you and he's for me.
And so how do we respond? We keep on praying for those miracles.